Skeptis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. I'm your host, Brian. I have a, a distinguished guest with me tonight. I have Jennifer Fallon. And I have those other two schmucks who show up on a weekly basis. Bi-weekly basis. Yeah, I can't see them. Even though we only podcast every two weeks, we still show up on a weekly basis. Exactly, exactly. And he has to chase us out of his house with the broom. Oh, it's terrible. I have with me, I have Sean or Mac or whatever he's being called this evening. We can think of some clever names for him, I'm sure. <laughs> and also I have Ian with me this evening. Hello. All right. You can think of no no name more clever for me than what the birds already call me, which is Chichiwachi. Chichiwachi. Okay, Chichiwachi. <laughs> and also, I, we are now, uh, we now have a Facebook page. Ian, why don't you uh, give them some more information? Uh, not too much more to give. Amateur Skeptics is a Facebook group. If you are on, um, we will have a link up on our page for you to go directly there. But just put in Amateur Skeptics in the search and you should be able to find us. And join on up. Uh, we have a discussion wall and all that. We're looking for input there. If you guys want to start some discussions with us, want to tell us we're a bunch of idiots and tell us why, go for it. <laughs> yeah, and we'd, we'd like to have people uh, join us there but, and let us know that they're listening. But if you're going to tell us we're idiots, just have good reasons. Make yep. good choices. <laughs> nah, just you know, blast us. You don't, there's, you don't need to have good reasons. <laughs> just let us know that we're schmucks. All right, and tonight, so we're going to be talking about, uh, well, we're going to talk about ginseng. We're going to talk about high fructose corn syrup. We're going to talk about some immortal animals. Um, what else we got here? Tits. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about... We are, we're going to, we talk are going about, to discuss tits tonight. We're not, we're not just going to talk about tits. We're going to talk about great tits. And <laughs> also, we're going to talk about uh, about some shoppers who sold their soul. And uh, we have some other reasons to thank God. We're going to go through those. And so we've just got... Uh, Got a whole bunch of fun stuff here that we're gonna we're gonna go through, but we're gonna start with uh, with ginseng and diabetes. So, uh, Sean, why don't you uh, why don't you go over this article for us? Here. Take it away. All right. Um, initially, and I have I am borderline diabetic. Borderline, I, I I'm over the border, but I have not got my passport yet. Is, is this going to anyway, be a special pleading? Special pleading. <laughs> the uh, the ginseng article initially was kind of a good thing. I thought it was a really an interesting article. I thought it was kind of a really hopeful article too. But well, the article about, was actually go, done back in two thousand three. Yeah. Well, so. go through. Go ahead and go through the article. All right. What they are essentially saying is that a compound of red ginseng and a a viscous fiber, like a like a gelatin type fiber, um, that combination is supposed to produce lower blood sugar levels in those who are tested in a control group. Basically, they did a placebo study, and the participants who received placebo and the participants who received ginseng, but ginseng participants had a lower blood sugar level overall. Right now, what they had, they had a, um, they, they now the first one says that it was thirty people, and they split the, they split them into two groups. They gave one placebo, and they would give one the ginseng, and then at some point they switched them. And they gave one, right. and they they switched the ginseng and the placebo, and they monitored the their their, their blood sugar levels, and they had some data to suggest that the that, ginseng may have um, lowered the blood sugar. Right. Both both groups, whichever one was taking the ginseng, showed significantly lower blood sugar right. levels. So okay, no, they didn't tell us that this was a double blind study. 
We, we don't know if the researchers knew who was getting the ginseng or not. And the other thing is that, you know, it's a very small study. I mean, it's only 30 people. So that's, you know, 15 per group. And so, I mean, that's not going to give you a, give you a lot of significance there. But it is, you know, as usual, enough to get you started. These were all people with type 2 diabetes, which is uh, adult diabetes. Um, what was interesting, though, is as we researched this article, we found a bunch more there's a lot of probably stu- yeah. ten more ten more connections easily located on the net that seem to indicate similar studies. Okay, not yeah. this same study. So it seems that even though the data is not necessarily foolproof on this one, that there's enough anecdotal data out there that it at the very least indicates that there may be more to this, more that's worth researching, and there may be yeah. some things yet to find out. Okay, yeah, exactly. So I mean, so there are the good points here. Here's what I didn't like about this article. And I'm going to start with, with – I'm going to read one of, the, one of the paragraphs that just set me off. The Chinese who use ginseng root to treat a variety of ailments have been in medicine for 5,000 years, she says, just as acupuncture has proven to have a role in Western medicine, so too will ginseng. We need to think globally. Now this is this is what I do not like, and and to start off, this is a red herring. This is a fallacious argument, and and, the, and it also seems to be it seems to indicate a pretty strong confirmation bias on the part of the person who said that. Absolutely, and the other and you know it's it's an appeal to ancient medicine, which okay, yeah, I this is this appeal to tradition, yeah, and this irritates me because listen, polio is five thousand years old too, and is it a good thing? I think not. I, I saw a comic strip today. Um, where you had this guy talking about how great the Bible is because it's so old and everything. And so this other guy calls in, these are barnyard animals, calls in the, the cow and says, this is the oldest animal in the um, barn. And the cow's like, a donkey goes moo. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that, <laughs> so, so, so here, here, so here they are trying to bolster their argument with, with a logical fallacy. And I took offense to that. And the other thing is, is you know, the, this study is so small, and to find this on WebMD as as if it's you know something that shows any real significance is unfortunate because a lot of people go to WebMD looking for medical advice, and if they were looking at this for actual medical advice, they could be you know. Um, they could astray. go yeah, led astray because this particular article is not conclusive, and it, in, albeit the study is suggestive, it certainly is not a good place to start for medical treatment. Definitely not. Um, they do at the very, at the end of the article they'll say that they do not consider the study to be conclusive. No, and that they, it just indicates yeah. a need for more study. Exactly, and they were very clear on that. But it always concerns me because these articles that particularly start out this way. And and because of some of the fallacious arguments that they use to to you know to try and back this up instead of just using the raw data, um, you know people people read this stuff and you know we we end up you know not vaccinating our kids you know and I mean it can you know these preliminary things can lead to something that um, that isn't good and I I just think I wish that you know. I don't know. I want a disclaimer or something right at the top that says, you know, this is a preliminary study. It's small and, you know, it's it needs to be, you know, needs to be looked at further and should not be taken as medical advice. But as we did as we did find, there's a lot of people looking at uh, at ginseng in particular and uh, and there could actually be something there. So hopefully, you know, that that uh, this will this will pay off. But I think a lot of, you know, the talk about ginseng doesn't pay off. You know, all the things that ginseng is supposed to do, I think uh, I think don't. 
So, ready to move on? Sure. All right. Yes. Scientists finally prove high fructose corn syrup risks. Finally. Finally, it's finally happened. <laughs> but, but maybe not so much. Not really. Yeah. All right, Mac. Tell us about. It. All right. Um. For the last several years, getting good answers about the health risks of high fructose corn syrup has been difficult. Lack of true scientific substantiation on either side of the debate. Uh, basically, the study that was done here, they they tested rats on rats given water sweetened with high fructose corn syrup in addition to a standard diet of rat chow. They gained more weight than rats that received water sweetened with table sugar in conjunction with the standard diet of rat chow. The concentration of sugar in the sucrose solution was the same as found in commercial soft drinks, while the high fructose corn syrup was half as concentrated as most sodas. And the rats gained more weight on the high fructose corn syrup. Um, okay, so now let, let's go through this. And this is, you know, the, to the best of what I've been able to figure out, by, I've read several articles on this, and I've tried to tease out what the actual methodology that they used was and what the conclusions were for each for each portion of the study. And you did find some peer reviews on this article. Yeah, also. I did. Um, so the And on the article itself, there's definitely, uh, not necessarily on the part of the scientists, but on the part of the person who wrote the article, Man, there's confirmation bias. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> and and particularly, you think this article, this article at least um, suggests that the, that there's some controversy. Where if you go to the and you read the article on the Princeton website, they 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 just tout the fact that they that you know something proved positive, and they and they show. <laughs> You know, they show the scientists, you know, putting stuff into tubes and stuff like that, and it's it's absolutely terrible. The the particularly the the article on 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 Princeton's website is, I mean, it, it's just full of confirmation bias. They were so proud of themselves. Well, heck, if it's got scientists putting stuff in tubes, it must be official. Exactly, <laughs> it must it must be it must because be that's what stuff, scientists huh? do is put stuff in tubes. So, not to say that you know, I I, I think that I I I don't know. Looking at the data. Which I haven't actually been able to do. Going through the peer-reviewed articles, based on what they've said, it, it certainly brings into question some of their methodology. And and certainly, the I I, I would have liked to have seen them duplicate this before they wrote their um, before they wrote up their findings. But what they did is they took um, they took rat populations all of about all of the same age, and they took males and females, and and they did um, two. They would take. And they did two different studies based on that. They would take a high fructose corn syrup um, um, group, and what they would do is they would um, take water, and 8% of that water would be high fructose corn syrup. So that would be the mixture, 8%. And they would give that to the rats. Um, they would give one group of rats this for 12 hours and the other group for 24 hours. And then they did the same thing with sucrose, but with the sucrose, they did 10% sucrose. Now, I don't understand why they chose the two different ratios and why they didn't just make them 10 and 10, which I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure well, what the Well, again, they're trying those. to prove that high fructose corn syrup is more damaging than sucrose. Okay. So they put in more sucrose. To less high fructose corn syrup to prove that high fructose corn syrup does more damage. Right. Okay. So, and that's fine. I mean, it, and and they can do that as long as they're consistent about it, right? So correct. And then they so they had so they did the same thing. They had a twelve-hour group and a twenty-four-hour group, males and females. Now, from what I could tell, it was only in this study, the twelve-hour group, in the in the two-month study, that gained more weight gained more weight than, weight than the control, and the control just got rat chow. Where the where the twenty four hour group did not gain more weight than the control, 
And in the sucrose, were pretty much they were both pretty much the same as the control. Um, and that was in the males. And the females, I guess, yeah, in the 12-hour, the slightly more than the control. But it was interesting in, in the two-month test that not everybody, not, not everybody gained more weight when they were, had access to the, the liquid for 24 hours, which seems odd to me, but that's what they had seemed to find. And then they redid the study, um, and they, they gave, so, um, but for a six-month period. And uh, in this, and so basically, except for they eliminated the male sucrose test, which I, I I think is problematic for their findings. I agree with you on that. Um, and then, but in this, it was it seemed to be only the males that had access for 24 hours in the six month study that gained um, more weight than the control. It seemed like, it, according to this, the the 12 uh, um, the ones that had it for 12 hour were. Um, were either the same or slightly more than the control. And of the females, um, there was pretty much a wash, um, same as the control. So, I, you know, and like I say, I, I've, I read a couple of different peer-reviewed articles, and this is just the information I tried to tease out from those. I'm not sure that it's completely accurate, but it looked like the um, – but what they did say is that it was only um, the, it was only significant in the rats that got had access for 24 hours over a six month period, um, and it was mainly belly fat that the, that they found on them that was significant over the rest of the uh, of the animals. Oh, and another reason why the jury is still out on this is animals don't necessarily react to sugars the same way that humans do. No, they don't. So and, yeah. Well, this is the, I mean, this this tells you nothing about about humans, and so that's once again the the you know the article the title of the article is scientists finally prove high fructose corn syrup risk. Well, they didn't. They didn't. They might have proved it in 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 rats, you know, for gaining belly fat. And once again, you know, you is is that really a risk? It just means okay, you're going to gain more fat. I mean, now you get now you've got to you know to decide whether that that's a huge risk for the rat or not. So the other thing is this. So this. So what this. So what needs to happen is this needs to be done again, with a larger population of rats, and it needs to be replicated a couple of times to see if there's really anything here. From what I read of the of you know, the peer-reviewed articles, it it doesn't look like there's much here. It looks like there's enough that another study should be done, but not enough to call any sort of conclusion. Based upon something that I've heard about high fructose corn syrup, I'd also like to know if the rats that were given the high fructose corn syrup were eating more rat chow than the rats that were eating the sucrose. Well, now here's because one of the one of the things I've heard about high fructose corn syrup is that it may not allow your stomach to know that it's full. Okay, now here's and therefore you eat more. There's another study that was done with rats where they actually um, injected um, glucose and high fructose corn syrup, or was it glucose and fructose, into the hyperthalamus of the brain. And in that study, what they found was that rats where they injected the, the, uh, the glucose stopped eating and the rats that got the fru- were injected with the fructose ate more, and so it that is, is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Now, my understanding is that that the sucrose, the the table sugar, is is a fifty fifty mix of the fructose and glucose, and that the high fructose corn syrup is um, like fifty eight percent fructose compared to you know compared to the forty two percent of glucose. So it's it's got so the so the sugars are different. It's but it's the amounts that make them different. So okay. it was pretty interesting. Uh, you know, while high fructose corn syrup may be more fattening to rats, 
I would have to say that high fructose corn syrup that's been gotten at by rats is not more fattening because I'm not going to eat it. You're not going to eat the rats? Or the high fructose corn syrup, either one. Okay. <laughs> I mean, because I'm not saying I won't eat the rats, but I'm, I'm not sure if I want the extra belly fat. Okay, so you're, what you're saying is you're looking for free-range rat. Yeah, I, I prefer my right. rat free-range. Well, your you, you're going to have to go to the sewer for that one, but uh, the <laughs> raccoons will compete with you. You know what? Raccoon is good eating. <laughs> It's a little greasy, but yeah, man, you know, cook it up with some potatoes. Mm, that's good stuff. All right. And moving on from there, from, <laughs> rat, from animals that are extremely mortal to the world's only immortal animal. Yes. Let's talk about immortal animals. This is really cool. It is actually very cool. This jellyfish, and I'll give you the scientific name of it as soon as I – Turritopsis nutricula. Turritopsis nutricula, species of jellyfish, and – it is capable of cycling from its mature adult stage back to a polyp stage. It's, it's, it's capable of cycling from one to the other and back. So there may actually be no natural limit to its lifespan. It also appears to be able to completely re- regenerate itself, any part of itself. That is, yeah. So in the, in the, the scientists think that it might be able to do this indefinitely. It doesn't sound like they're positive that, of that yet, but uh, they think that that's possible. Well, well the scientists keep talking. What was that, Ian? Give him a million years to study him, and then we'd know. All right. All right. Well, yeah, but the scientists keep dying off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or they keep forgetting what they were doing. So, <laughs> uh, Actually, originally, the uh, Turritopsis nutricula could not actually make itself younger. So what it would do is it would just date immature polyps and feel younger. <laughs> <laughs> it's a jellyfish midlife crisis. <laughs> Oh, that's <laughs> well, you know what? There may be a way to help out these researchers if they could just regenerate. Yeah. If they could, that would be great. But uh, how would we go about doing that? <laughs> I, I think that there's some scientists. Segue. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it just? But if we just turn off a gene called P21, we would be able to possibly regenerate just like newts. Or grow cancers. Or grow cancers, but it, it was given inter- the choice. Yeah, given the, it was interesting though. They said in the rats that that they, they they did this to that they did not develop cancers. No, actually, what happened was a surge in apoptosis, cell suicide, which basically damaged cells, destroyed themselves. So turning off the p twenty one could actually you know make us able to heal completely from damage. Right. So what the, what they'd like, I think that what they'd like well, to do. Well, not heal completely. Is, if you read it, it, it's saying that um, basically scarring and stuff won't happen. But it's not, you know, I, they, they, they're not saying that we should be able to regrow bones and such. So we'll be. So well, no, they, yeah. they actually said, though, that these cells that these cells that come out of this would act like stem cells and actually serve as whatever is whatever is necessary, serve in whatever capacity is necessary. The cell will basically come out like a stem cell, and it will become whatever it needs to be. So possibly it could lead to regrowing bones. Possibly it could lead to regrowing, you know, an entire organ, an entire limb. See, but what we need to be able to do is turn this on and off. We need to be able to, you know, like if, if say, we we were to lose a finger, we'd need to be able to turn this on just in the hand so that we can regrow that finger. 
it's possible we could come up with a P21 inhibitor. What they did for the test, um, they did a group of lab mice that were genetically engineered to lack the gene P21. Uh, they were able to regenerate surgically removed tissue to the evidence of no surgery to the point that no evidence of the surgery remained. Didn't they do Holes the punched in their ears. Yeah which was a standard procedure for tagging lab animals, not just cruelty, healed perfectly, leaving no traces of scar tissue or previous damage. So, so obviously, if you, cells just fill the hole. Right, but a few questions that pop in, they're talking about how um, they can regenerate surgically removed tissue. Well, we have surgically removed body parts we don't want to regrow. How do we limit that in this case? Uh, it would be inconvenient to grow back one's wisdom teeth. I agree with you on that. <laughs> However, in most cases, surgically removed body parts are removed because there's something wrong with the body part, whereas the regrown body part would not necessarily have something wrong with it. True. You know, in other words, you have but, a kidney removed because it's damaged. The kidney grows back. It's yeah. not going to be a damaged kidney that grows back. Yeah, but I just paid a few years ago. We had to fork out a lot of money to get Hayden's um, tonsils removed. I'm not in the mood for those to pop back in. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we have to have an inhibitor. We need to be able to do it just in localized places. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I have a couple things that, you know, I don't want to grow back either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, vasectomies would become a bit of a problem, wouldn't they? There you go. Yes, they would. <laughs> you outed him right on the podcast. Oh, oh no, that's going to be all over him. the internet. <laughs> you know, for some and, reason, I was thinking, wait, you're well, not the guy I dated who had six toes. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? I get his love life going. If, if Jen's in an adventurous mood, it might get his love life going real good. You know what? Here's the problem is that you know where the people are going to be using this inhibitor. No. I can think of all sorts of naughty things. Come on. Come on. How yeah. many emails do you get a day saying, you want a bigger penis? Try this. <laughs> bigger I breasts? I from Nigerians who want to give me their money. Oh. <laughs> yeah, really? I'm the one who gets all the bigger penis. Oh, yeah. You get the bigger penis. <laughs> uh, it's odd because I get the bigger breasts one. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, uh, do you want bigger breasts? I'd no. say I just don't want them I'd on say me. You should be satisfied with the with the ones you've got access to. Well, okay, I'll go ahead. Right. <laughs> and while we're on that subject, let's just segue straight into talking about great tits. We okay, talk let's about talk about tits. great tits. <laughs> what? The picture is fabulous. Great I tits. love that. I want. I want one. <laughs> you want great tits? <laughs> just one, not multiples of them. I don't know. Is tits a plural? <laughs> Uh, are they bird. are they are they a great tit or are they a great tits? Well, they're each each bird individually is a tit. See, because I can have one flops. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> off the rails. We're off the rails. Serious with this article. Okay, let's be serious with the with great tits. Tell me about great tits, Matt, Mac. All right. I am um, eager to know. The way that the great tits are coping with the uh, global warming is that they're laying eggs earlier in the spring than they used to, keeping early, keeping step with the earlier emergence of caterpillars. Basically, they're letting their they're getting their young out there for a longer a longer summer cycle, so they could present could potentially grow larger and possibly uh, possibly evolve into a larger species overall. But the uh, so basically, great tits are doing good because they're exposing themselves earlier in the season, and they're getting bigger. That's correct. <laughs> great tits are getting bigger, and they're apparently getting more sun. You know, <laughs> I think it's important that we keep abreast of these things. Absolutely. Let's get those tits out into I, the sun. I think we just broke. I think we just yeah. 
Oh, uh, man. You know, if I named the shows, I, I definitely – I might name this show Great Tits. Well, maybe I can put that. Hey, we definitely get a lot more hits. Hey, but why why tits are growing, sm- songbirds are shrinking. That is correct. The climatic change is basically making the birds in North America shrink. And the one that they're referring to here, um, the one that they show in the article is actually star- a scarlet tanager. But – the shrinkage has occurred within half a century, with the birds thought to be evolving into a smaller size in response to warmer temperatures. There is a uh, there's a theory called Bergman's rule that animals tend to become smaller in warmer climates. Usually, this trend can be okay. seen among animal species that live over a range of latitude or altitude. Within with individuals living at more northern altitudes or higher up, cooler mountains being larger than the, than those below. You know, I, I don't know. It's interesting. It's an interesting rule, but elephants break the rule, don't they? I mean, look at Africa. They do. You know, but they're smaller than mammoths, which lived in colder climates. Well, okay, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what they found is that measuring they they examined the records of forty four hundred eighty six thousand individual birds that had been caught and measured. And they belonged to 102 different species. Uh, each was weighed. Each had the length of its wings measured and recorded as wing cord length. And they found that they found that 60 60 of 83 species have become smaller over the 46 year period. That is pretty interesting. I wonder also, that's a, and that's a good study. If the if things are getting warmer, that they should have more access to food. You you might think. I don't know that for sure. Well, but how much how much does this have to do with the fact that uh, you know that they might not need to migrate, so they might not need the the large sizes. Well, also part of it probably has to do with how much body fat is needed. Body might be sensing it's hotter, and so it doesn't need to build up as much body fat because there's better food supplies. Well, and, and they and might insulation. Right. They yeah. might not need okay. as long a wings also because there are more thermals. Yeah. Well, so the true. wing size can be smaller and more efficient. So certainly it's interesting. And and once again, more study needs to be done. Yes, it does. But they did at least get a pretty good size sample size in there. And it doesn't look like they had any particular bias in what they were trying to find out there either. All right. No, actually, no, it does. you're right. It, the article is pretty good. And, yeah. Ian, you lead the next one off. That's right. So evolution so evolution big bang poll omit, admitted from nsf report what is this yeah. well basically apparently there is the um national science foundation every year has a poll that's out there to see kind of the knowledge of the american people and um apparently this year at the last minute it was decided to pull the information based on two questions um, that relate to evolution and the Big Bang. The questions are, um, human beings as we know them today developed from earlier species of animals. Uh, basically, it's a true-false kind of answer, obviously. And the other question is, the universe began with the Big Bang. Well, um, in 2008, Americans answered, uh, 45% of Americans said that human beings, as we know, they developed from earlier species, as be- answered that as being true, which is uh, much smaller than basically the rest of the world. They have <laughs> Japan at 78, Europe at 70, China 69, and South Korea 64. And those two questions are um, obviously two of the ones that um, are more have more religious connotation to them. And that was the, the um, one of the explanations on why those were pull, um, pulled, claiming the questions are flawed because they're not as much about knowledge as they're about beliefs. 
Um, because it makes a person choose between yeah. science. Okay, but yeah. here's here's the thing: is that I, I think I think you know, did the universe start with the Big Bang? Is is an interesting one because you I could say I don't believe in that because there was because there was no sound at the beginning, there could not have been a bang. Well, actually, it says explosion. It does not say. Yeah, bang. they they said well, they said big okay, big explosion. But do we know it was a big explosion? We know that everything moved out from one point, right. and we're and we're saying well, you know, we think that well, there was a if everything moves from one point. That is, by definition, an explosion. But I, I, whether or not it's belief or not, the, there's a relevance to the question, and there's a relevance to knowing how much of the population follows it. Well, and they are scientific questions. Do you yes. know? But what? But they would like to. They, you know, these evolutionists would like to, or not evolutionists. Yeah, these evolutionists would like us to think <laughs> that you know we all develop from monkeys. No. Right. That's not what we want. Them. But that, that's not what. No, it's a, we a common ancestor. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, n- not necessarily not a monkey. Personally, I developed from a lemur. Well, that is, that would explain a few things. I always wanted to be a bonobo, personally. Yeah. Sex solves it. Yeah. I just don't know how to lean. We seem to have lost that knowledge. Oh, really? Well, I knew <laughs> you were a different species, anyway. <laughs> There's definitely a level of these being pulled for all the wrong reasons, it feels like. You know, th- th- there's not a good justification for it. And, you know, if you point to appease a, a religious group, you know, that ha- is not good. If you're doing it to try and hide... Um, from the rest of the world, the, the way Americans that we think, think that's dumb. not good. It, it's, <laughs> you know, it smells of intelligent per- design proponents. Yeah. But well, it he, looks like uh, looks like the White House is actually pretty hot under the collar about this, too. Yeah. they uh, This was pulled after the White House looked at a draft of the test. So they're not real pleased. Oh, so they got the they're draft, fine. and then they got the final. They got the draft, and then they got the shaft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this this is this is <laughs> bad the news. Conversation killer. <laughs> well, I wanted a reference back to. Did they get the article about great tits? <laughs> 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 you know this this is unfortunate, and ju- you know, and you know, last last time we reported on Texas, you know, removing um, uh, Thomas Jefferson from the history books. Oh yeah, same, you know, same type of thing. Same really. type of thing. I think we should close with the last line of the article. Okay. Nobody likes our infant death rate, he says by way of comparison, but it doesn't go away if you quit talking about it. Yeah, I thought good that point. was good too. I, I I appreciated that. All right. So, Jen, yes. why don't you tell us about gender neutrality? <laughs> well, of course, the title of the article caught my attention because it's um, my parents' failed experiment in gender neutrality. And uh, so she talks briefly, uh, a woman named Jessie Ellison, her name is Jessie, J-E-S-S-E, and no, it's not short for anything, it's just Jessie. And so she talks a bit about how growing up her parents really tried to be as gender neutral with her as possible, you know, she, and so she had just short hair and she dressed in overalls all the time. And she never had Barbies, but she did have blocks, and, uh, you know, as soon as she was able to demand it, she wanted to wear pink frilly dresses. <laughs> Uh, but looking back, she appreciates that her parents gave her a chance to decide on her own what it, she wanted to be. And uh, specifically, there were three articles that were uh, looking back at 1970 when 46 women sued Newsweek, Newsweek for gender discrimination. And so they were writing articles in the here and now talking about, you know, what's changed. And uh, actually, I was the title, as usual, was a little more riling up than what she actually says in the article. Um, I was afraid she was going to be a 
girls are always going to be girls, yeah, 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 sort of person. Um, and working with young children, I hear this a lot. You know, people are like, oh, boys are so different. In my experience, yes, I realize this is anecdotal. <laughs> um, I've made, met plenty of little boys who were cuddlers, thumbsuckers, and sweet as can be, and spent most of the time in dress-up wearing skirts. And I've met plenty of little girls who were climbing on the walls and throwing blocks and hitting people. Um, so it's really about the individual. You can't make too many generations. You know, it is interesting, though, looking at the article, is it, it doesn't so much look like your parents were trying to be general neutral, gender neutral so much as they were trying to have a boy. <laughs> I was kind of wondering that myself. I mean, did she, that. Yeah. Well, did, were, she, did she have the chance to, if they, if she'd asked for Barbies, would they have gotten her Barbies? They say that they wanted to give her a choice, but it sounds like they really, they really wanted to take the choice away from her. Yeah. Well, but she says that at some point she said, okay, I want long pink lacy dresses. And uh, so it's entirely possible that she went a little in the further direction from where they were taking her, a la, you know, Alex P. Keaton in uh, Family <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you've got to wonder if the... Yeah. You've got to wonder if the de- if the decision to to buy that long lacy pink dress came from her own real desire or if it was pressure manufactured. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, pressure from Pierce. Now, excuse or, me, guys. I got to take media. my pumps off. Pumps what? off. I got to take my pumps off. Just a second. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the, I, I don't know why this. You're not allowed head. off yet. I didn't say you could. Okay. <laughs> uh, don't even know the details of what you guys are going to do after the podcast. Oh, these heels are killing me. <laughs> but anyways, one thing that popped in my head here was um, the idea of trying to make people fit into certain roles and stuff. There was a one of my sister's friend's boyfriends at one time. He had a big issue over the fact that he was left-handed. And as a kid, apparently they were pushing him to do everything with his right hand because that's the right way to do it. You can't be left-handed because that's just wrong and doesn't work. Yeah. And he had one huge chip on his shoulder over the, the left-handed thing. And he'd go off, no apparent reason. He'd just start going off on how, you know, I'm left-handed. You need to make sure people who are left-handed are respected for being left. And it's like, okay. But (laughs) I guess he was really pushed into this idea that um, in his case, you know, he better learn to do everything right-handed because everyone's going to think he's odd for not being able to do it that way, for not fitting in. Well, on that uh, subject, there. Thought me odd, but it had nothing to do with being left-handed. <laughs> on the subject of left-handedness, there is a long-established tradition that people who are left-handed are either I, by say, by saying long-established tradition, I mean basically like a uh, medieval and Middle Ages belief that people who are left-handed are morally wrong in some way, that they are into unsavory pursuits, and that they are. That there is something something just not right about them. In fact, the left hand was referred to as, or the left was referred to as sinister for hundreds of years. Yep. I really you think that yeah, the Japanese had this right, you know, with South Paws, just tie their hand behind their back. Well, you've all, <laughs> you, you've all met Dale, my father. Yep. He's left-handed, and it's quite annoying because when he was here last week, he kept switching my mouse over to the wrong side of my keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
Very well, sinister. Very evil. <laughs> you, you, you did pick a good. You did pick a good uh, example of evil there. <laughs> but still, it, it's to me. This just is, kidding, Dale. Just kidding. <laughs> to me, this article was the same type of thing. It, it's one of these things where they're trying to force very specific things, not caring about who the person actually is, but saying we're going to determine ahead of time by whatever rules we're going by what you need to fit into. Yeah, and there's a lot of that that goes on in our society. A lot of really trying to determine ahead of time how these everyone should end up, and not letting them really just say, "Hey, you know, become yourself." And you know, some of the stuff, like you said, was he re- was he really going for the girly stuff because he was a girl, or was he doing that out of rebellion? It becomes hard to tell. Well, there was probably a certain amount of rebellion there, but if they just said okay and let her do it, it you know, it, it, the rebellion would have wore off pretty quickly. Right, very true. You know, and, and so it, I don't know. Did they fight her on it? It doesn't. I, I don't really think it really says. You know, they, if 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 they really were trying to be general neut- gender neutral when she said this is what I wanted, that they would have just let her have it. Hmm. Uh, well, anyway, to go back to the sinister. Well, I mean, five hundred to seventy five hundred shoppers unknowingly sold their souls. Yes. <laughs> so I thought this was brilliant. Um, thousands of shoppers unknowingly signed their souls over to a computer game store after failing to read the terms and conditions on the website. GameStation added the Immortal Soul Clause to online purchasers earlier this month, stating that customers granted them the right to claim their soul. While all shoppers during the test were given a simple tick box option to opt out, very few did this, which would have also rewarded them with a five-pound voucher. The store claims that this shows 88% of people do not read the terms and conditions of a website before they make a purchase. Or, bosses, or, 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 there's a lot of gamers out there willing to sell their souls for the latest game. <laughs> I think, see, that's where I was going with this. I, I love the, uh, I love the picture and the caption that they've got here. The caption for the picture says, "You own Mario." They own your soul. <laughs> the uh, bosses of the store say they will not be enforcing their rights and will now email customers nullifying any claim to their soul. See, I think that they're they're checking out here. I think that they need to they need to develop the technology to actually collect the souls. Well, we already know they have that. Last time we were talking about the exorcism, you put them in the little bottles of holy water. That's true. That's true. See. You know well, what? There are the ghosts in the bottles. They they are definitely giving up. You know some some opportunities to make some money here. Oh yeah. You know the thing of it is though, seventy five hundred shoppers sold their souls, and it's a buyer's market. Well, okay. So you think they're going to flood the market with souls? Is what you're saying? <laughs> yes. Look for our pamphlet: selling your soul in a buyer's market. Yes, and then we'll take the souls, put them in our vibrators, and start our business. Exactly. Exactly. There we go. We're now now we're talking. But you know, we need to be more. We we can't collect just seventy five thousand souls. We need to be more um more specific about the souls that we can, that we capture because you know we have quality standards. Well, we'll, we'll collect them all and go through them and find the better ones. You know. Okay. All right. We might need a dowsing rod to sort them. I think that's <laughs> yes, a dowsing rod. Yes. We'll douse for the best souls. Uh, that's if the faith healers don't kill us first. Exactly. So legislature, the legislator, legislatures, legislature in Wisconsin 
is uh, I, I don't know if this is passing on. It's been a while since I since I put this in here, but they were talking about um, passing a law that would make these faith healers, re, you know, responsible for these deaths. Um, it looks like currently under uh, in, under certain these laws, uh, you know, religious freedoms and stuff like that, that they that they've been unable to prosecute some of these faith healers, and uh, and under this law, they would no longer be exempt from prosecution. So this looked like uh, I, we could have called this a uh, win for common sense. Yeah, we could easily. It looks like this was created in the wake of a 2008 death of an 11-year-old who died from a treatable form of insulin-dependent diabetes because her parents decided to pray rather than give her insulin. Ugh. And you know, they get the, to plead that it was against their religious beliefs, so you know they should be exempt from common sense. Yeah, when I think they should be held accountable for killing their child. Right. One could easily say that God helped us develop insulin. You know, in other words, medicine is not necessarily against God. God is God is in everything. If God is in everything, he's in medicine too. It is a very small fringe group. Well, yes. Also, the the common sense thing, you know, the, the people love using the phrase playing God. Well, if God is so powerful, we should be able to control life or death beyond him. So this idea that medicine is going against God's like, well, no. According to your own beliefs, if God wants you dead, you're going to die. It doesn't matter how much medicine you get. So That's that right. Thing, he you know can hit you with a piano out of the clear blue sky. If yeah. God is if so God, great, why, why are we spending so much time protecting God, and why isn't he down here protecting us? <laughs> So, you know, the medicine should be working with God by that logic. If, if you give a medicine to get better, it's obviously God's will. So, you know, a lot of this stuff of, of just praying, it's like, you no, know, be active. The Bible even says stuff like that. It even says, you know, you have to be active to get the stuff done. You know, so you, you want results, you go and get them. And that doesn't go against religious ideas. Well, but then you've got the Pope. <laughs> the Pope in Rome. I don't want the Pope. No? No. I don't want him near my kids. <laughs> and, and I certainly don't want the bishops he's protecting near my kids. No, no, you have girls. They're oh, okay, no, you're right. you're right. They're okay. It's you that needs to worry. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You're right. They don't want to have anything to do with boys. They're not out there mole- or they're molesting. Girls. Yeah, they're not molesting girls. They're molesting boys. <laughs> So this is the this has been actually this has been in the media for a couple of weeks now. Well, um, I, but, well in a sense, it's been in the media for years, decades. Okay. You know, the, but not specifically. It's, it's amazing how much it keeps popping up, and that just says how big the problem really is. Yeah. So this is this article is talking about how the Pope might have known. They, they're they're claiming that he didn't have any that his knowledge might have been limited, but Pope Benedict. Knew um, there there was a uh, bishop and that was uh, you know had been accused of molesting children and was put back into service you know with kids continually being put back into service with kids and continued to to be a violator and the Pope did or well I should say that the Catholic Church did not deal with this. And this is not the only one. We keep hearing about, you know, they, 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 they keep giving these people a pass. And we know why. It's because, you know, the, they're already infected with the virus, and finding new people to infect with the virus is expensive. They've already put a lot of time into these people that are spreading the virus. You've gotten to that part in the book, huh? Yes, I have. <laughs> 
But this is exactly what the what the God virus is talking about. And in fact, he goes into right. and specifically talks about this stuff that that the reason that they're protecting these these people is because they've already spent so much time and money in making them good proselytizers that they need them to continue to spread and to and to keep and to keep the you know the virus strong. And this is a good example of that very process. Yeah, like I said, you know, it, it, we've been hearing about it all our lives about the Catholic Church doing this, just you know, not. It's just now they're getting the caught. Now, now they're actually getting caught red-handed. It's always been kind of right. one of those those jokes that goes around, but now you know the evidence is out there. And if the Pope really knew that much about it and let it go on in his organization, despicable. It yeah. is absolutely despicable. Uh, but you know, we go from you know the Pope to exorcisms, <laughs> and I have two articles here. Um, this is a recent one about a girl who, you know, you, you read these articles and you always think back. You know, it sounds like these people had some psychological problems and, and, and needed to see a therapist. But instead, these you know rel- religious people take it upon themselves to find a demon and exercise them. And in this particular case, this girl had, had claimed that she um, was possessed by a demon. And uh, and actually the local minister took her in and took her to the church and they, they attempted to beat the demon out of her. And they repeatedly punched her in the stomach and her private parts. And she was And she got to a point where she was bleeding out of those parts. The guy finally takes her to the hospital where she dies and then claims he didn't do anything wrong that this is this is what needed to be done to get the demon out i think that they got the demon out and the actual soul of the girl as well maybe a little too efficient you know what these stories are disgusting they are and we keep seeing the these people who who need actual help but yet the the people that end up helping them um because they have these supernatural beliefs and believe that demons can possess these people, this is their answer. Um, well, they she'd had multiple uh, respiratory issues, it looks like. Yeah, and years. they had uh, she had mental health problems. Yep. But rather than trying to get her assistance, they they went into religious prayer to try to get rid of her mental health problems, which consisted of putting pressure on Ray Young's chest and placing an object in her mouth. And basically choking her, squeezing her neck. Well, and doesn't it say repeatedly beating her in the stomach and private parts? Yeah, well, the private parts, yeah. Oh, no, well, or was she just bleeding out of her private parts? No, it, it does say... Um, they did say blunt force trauma and See, and then here's what kills me is, okay, the autopsy is inconclusive. Who's doing these autopsies? They can't see that this person was beaten. And I mean, when they're bleeding out their mouth and and, and out their private parts. Well, actually, the one that on? I'm looking at here says that she she did die of blunt force trauma and infi- and of asphyxiation, but no one has been charged. So it sounds like the autopsy is conclusive, oh, but okay. they haven't decided what they're going to do with it yet. You know, I, I've re- I've read like three or four articles about this. Um, Sounds like they're being cowards, actually. Yeah, it does. It's not, and the, and this is typical in these. I think in these little communities that the you know that they're they're concerned about coming out against these these priests and, and pastors because because it, it sounds like they're small communities, and if they do that, they could divide the communities and really fracture them. But in this particular case, many of the people in the community came out and you know and 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 were upset, and they've actually confronted the pastor. 
So, I mean, in this particular case, it looks like there's enough there's enough people in the town that that are, and and this is not the first exorcism he's done. Well, so there's other incidences. Hopefully, the people are a bit scared. They're looking like, wait a moment, if my kid starts acting up, is he going to suggest doing the same thing? To right. She him? took the kid from the grandmother, and the grandmother didn't even have access. She wasn't in the church. So, and then I've got another one. This one looks like they're actually looking to prosecute. Fairfax County Police continue exorcism probe. Yeah, um, I apologize. That's actually the one that I was looking over. This is the one and you're looking I, over. The, okay. There are two separate. There are two separate in, separate incidents. Here. Okay. Right now, this one they do have a they they have an autopsy, and it looks like that that they would like to to go in and actually um actually then this one happened in what when two thousand eight yeah July two thousand eight. And this well, apparently is the girl. kid was diagnosed as having actual mental health problems. Right, in this particular case. And so instead of actually doing any real therapy, let's exercise the demons out of them. Right. That'll fix them. Well, where's the other one? This one is in Fairfax County. Um, Fairfax County where, though? Is this in the U.S.? Yeah, 911. So this is in the U.S. I don't think the other – is the other one? Where's the other one? I would guess that based upon the article and how it was written that it was not in the U.S. Which, oh, which one? The Fairfax County one? No, the, the other one. Uh, the other one. The, the, yeah. Abrook Times. Yeah, this one does not look like it's in the U.S. The other, the Fairfax County one, they called 911, so they're in the U.S. So this one so, – so I mean so this one has a, a much better chance of, of an actual prosecution. Where the other one, who knows? They, this guy may be, you know, al- allowed to do another exercise. So I put both these in here just to, to, you know, kind of bring some attention to to these activities. Well, the thing that really, really makes me angry here is it looks like at her funeral, the pastor who performed the exorcism also officiated. Um, the first one I was talking about, not the second, not the, fair the first second. one. Yeah, the first one. Yes. Yeah. No, I know. He he doesn't he doesn't take any responsibility for what he did. He ha- he sees himself as having no wrongdoing. <sighs> Maybe someday he'll get a demon. I'll get the opportunity to drive it out of him. Uh, <laughs> all right. <sighs> what what what's going on with Doctor Who? Okay, yeah, let's try and switch to lighter note. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> well, basically, everyone in this podcast is doc- a Doctor Who fan. Uh, most of us are caught up in the new series and love it, and we all saw the, we've all downloaded the new new episode, um, which apparently has someone, a, a few people it sounds like, um, upset that Doctor Who is getting too sexy. <laughs> the claims are, in this episode, um, primarily focused on the new companion, um, played by Karen Gillian, um, who, um... Dresses in a really um, skimpy, yeah, they, they use the word skimpy, I'd say attractive, but <laughs> policeman's outfit um, with a nice little mini skirt showing off her rather interesting legs. It was, it was fishnet stockings and a mini yes. skirt. And, and let me just say, I loved it. And apparently handcuffs. Well, she does handcuff the doctor. See, but yeah, she, but we didn't actually get to see that, so it doesn't count. Yeah. It's inferred. Actually, her job is a kissogram, which basically means she gets paid to go to parties and kiss people. Fair enough. Okay, I don't see a problem. <laughs> then throughout the episode, um, at one point the doctor does get undressed, and she watches him while her boyfriend's trying to get her to look the other way. And then the doctor, when he goes into the tar- TARDIS, which has just been remodeled, um, calls the TARDIS sexy. 
And apparently all that is getting way too sexy for Doctor Who, which is quite interesting because none of that seemed to be any more than what we've seen in Doctor Who, including old, old stuff. Because by coincidence, me and my boys watched the very first adventure of the third Doctor. This is, you know, like 1969, where in it, um, his assistant is wearing basically a miniskirt showing off her legs. He himself does actually take a shower in the show in order to um, hide in a hospital and pretend like, you know, he belongs there. He strips naked, gets in the shower, and they do show basically all the way to the top of his buttocks. To me, everything they were saying is nothing new for Doctor Who, but yet here we have people complaining about it. Especially for the new series. I mean, you had Captain Jack, bisexual, who made sexual advances uh, towards everything. Not correct. Polysexual. He'll okay. have sex with anything. Anything. And he made sexual anything. advances towards every creature he met, it seemed. Every And alien. several robots. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And remember true. where he hid his gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was fully naked in that scene. You, you know, know what? So, Here, here's my problem with all of this. Too much male nudity. Agreed. We've Here's seen. my problem with it. We just discussed an we just discussed earlier in the show a creature that basically ages to maturity and then makes itself young again. Here we have another one. I'm wondering if the doctor's natural form's a little more amorphous. <laughs> How do you think he feels about great tits? Well, that that was back in New Earth when Rose was busy showing off her bosom. Yes, she was. <laughs> she was. Which apparently wasn't too sexy for Doctor Who cuz that was several years ago and <laughs> But me and Brian actually talked about this roughly uh, a bit earlier, and one thing that occurred to me afterwards is he was talking about, you know, you could probably trace it back to some religious group. I'm betting within a few weeks after the next few episodes have aired, some group will step forward and declare Doctor Who evil and corrupted and, you know, really play this out to get some attention. Do they have have Baptists over there? My main experience with Doctor Who is the fourth Doctor and the fifth. And with the fourth Doctor, you've got... Leela! Leela, animal skins, long yep. legs, very tan. You've got Romana, long flowing white dress, low cut, extremely low cut, like almost the yep. yep. um, And fur. And yes, she would wear fur, and she would not necessarily rather appear naked than wear fur. Um, we had a Sarah Jane girl next door. We had, with the fifth Doctor, we had Tegan, who always was a snappy dresser, but definitely had some good she, curves. She had mini skirts at times, from what I remember. I remember her dress as a flight legs. attendant. Yeah, and, and that was that showed off her legs really well, from what I recall. Yes, it did. And, she, I th- and I'm picturing her a few other outfits that showed off her legs. Okay, so... Were so, any bottom of them- line is, Doctor Who, from the very start, has been entertainment, and people are entertained by legs, and great pets. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, the, the, the sex appeal within his companions has been there for some time now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. And it's been all kinds of different sex appeal. Sarah Jane Smith, Girl Next Door. Um, Terry Sullivan, well, we won't talk about that. See, and, I, uh, I haven't seen the first Perry, but apparently the first time we ever seen see Perry, she's uh, a companion of the fifth and sixth Doctor. She's basically in a really skimpy bathing suit. I've seen pictures of it. I haven't seen the episode, but I have seen pictures. Okay. Yeah. Bottom line, so. though, entertainment. People are entertained by pretty girls. 
Oh, yeah. So this is a bunch of prudes who wrote this. Simple. Right, that's right. It's simple. I mean, and, and, and the fact that they just say now that all of a sudden you're wrecking my family entertainment, they, they, they clearly don't have not been watching Doctor Who. This is probably the first episode they ever caught. <laughs> and why did they watch it? Because the doctor strips naked. The whole, <laughs> the whole, this whole recent, you know, remake, whatever you want to call it, has, has, the, the companion has usually been a fairly attractive woman. Um, I'd say the least attractive well, was Donna, but man, she was sassy. She made up for it. But, um, the producer of Doctor Who even said that's what he's trying for with her. He wants her to be wild and a bit, um, crazy in that regard. Amy Pond or, um... Yeah, Amy yeah, Pond. Yeah, he, oh, yeah. He, the, the character is specifically being written like that, that she's a bit more, um, feisty, a bit more flirtatious than the others have been. And a bit ginger. <laughs> the Doctor's jealous, I know. Oh, he must be. Oh, still not ginger. <laughs> uh, well, I, I do think that the Skeptics with a K podcast would appreciate this discussion. They like Doctor Who, too. All right. You, are, are you done with this now, Mac? Is that, what you, is, that, is that what I'm hearing? Do you want to tell me about some facts I should know about airspeed velocities? And I don't think we can actually go through the facts in this page. <laughs> no. Uh, it's, it's highly interesting, though. It's basically yes. all about there's a famous there's a famous bit in Monty Python and the Holy yeah. Grail. It's all yeah. about... If they're not geeky enough to know it already, I'm not sure if we really need to explain it to them. Because <laughs> basically, always need to explain it. If you're that big of a geek, you're going to know it. If you're not hey, that hey, big hey, of a geek, it's going to go right over listen, your head. Listen, jokes are funnier if you explain them. So, Mac, go ahead. Uh, there's a famous bit in Monty Python of the Holy Grail all about the fact that, first of all, the knights are not riding horses. They're using coconuts to make the sound of horses. And the two people that they're speaking to get completely distracted, not by what the king is saying, but by the fact that they're using coconuts. And how did they get coconuts in England? And, you know, the, the, the king says, well, maybe the coconut migrated here. And this all goes into a discussion of the fact that maybe they were carried by swallows. Okay. And so they put together this page all about actually estimating the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow and finding out what kind of weights the unladen swallow can actually carry. Well, and they and they compare the African and the European swallow. Absolutely. Plus several other birds that are that are approximately the same size. <laughs> I did not know for instance that the budgerigar or parakeet is larger than the European swallow. It's actually about 14 grams heavier. So basically, if you've seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you'll get the joke fully and understand exactly what's going on. If you haven't, like I said, this will go right over your head, and you'll be like, huh, what's the point? If you haven't, maybe you've spent most of your life in a lead coffin. <laughs> it's possible. That weighs approximately 1,000 pounds. Good segue. Hey, thanks. You know, I'm, I'm working on the segues. Okay. But the problem is, is that Ian, mystery and a half Ian is, not, is, is not picking it up and, and coming in here and chiming in for the article. <laughs> I, 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 we've totally thrown him off. Look at that. He's completely silent. Uh, me? Yeah, you. <laughs> this is yours, isn't it? No, this it's is mine still. Oh, man. It's mine. Oh, what? man. Mac, tell me about the coffin. All right. Basically, in a city that was once Rome's neighbor, they found a thousand-pound lead coffin. They do not know what's in it because they're essentially trying to find the best way to investigate the contents of the coffin without actually destroying yeah, it. Without actually destroying it, without yeah. damaging this pretty much priceless find. But it's a thousand pounds of lead. 
It's a sheet of lead folded onto itself an inch thick, which is an enormous amount of money in that era. It was an enormous amount of, not money, but just that much metal would be an enormous amount of wealth. Well, and that much lead on on top of that, I mean, just, uh, wow, that's amazing. So they don't know what's in it. Um... Well, because well, it should be you know, obvious, it's a radioactive alien. Well, all Why else as we need we, a lead coffin. Listen, we all know that X-rays don't work through lead. Superman taught yes, us we this. Do. We do know that. We also know that if you are in danger of being hit by a nuclear blast, you can hide out in an old lead-lined refrigerator. <laughs> That's true. We learned Indiana that. Indiana Jones taught me Indiana that. Indiana Jones taught me that. Yes. <laughs> So this is pretty interesting. So, the, I mean, they, they have a couple of different ways that they want to try to scan this with. And, and, of course, scanning technologies have gotten better. But at some point, they think that they're probably going to have to drill a hole in there and put a, um, and put a scope in and take a look around, and hopefully that will work for them. This is funded in part by the National Geographic Society. It'll definitely be interesting to find out what's in there, why you know, something that expensive was made. At that time, for whoever it is. Well, that's a lot of lead. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, the, well, the cost in the construction would be pretty intense. Yeah. So you got to figure, the, whatever's in there, you know, is obviously of some importance to the people at the time who did this. You know, to build it, to bury someone in something like that, you know, there really has to be something unique in there, something worth finding out about. You know, why would they go through such... Um, expenditures yeah. for uh, they talk about the fact that after they unearthed it the first time they had to cover it back over with dirt again to basically hide it from possible looters right so well that doesn't sound like an easy thing to loot well not only that you don't want somebody to be looting that because it's you know lead is toxic <laughs> so actually you know if 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 you find somebody who can carry that lead that that, that thousand pound lead coffin away by themselves, they can. They probably are. They're probably <laughs> immune to the toxicity as well. You, you think that their their immune system can handle? <laughs> I it. think they're probably tough enough to stand it. All right. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Do we have anything else? I think that's about all. All right. That's a wrap. All right. We end with a thousand pound lead coffin. And so, all right, Mac. How can they get a hold of you? How can they get a hold of me? Well, let's see. Um, the email address you set up was. Sean at AmateurSkeptics.com, I believe. That's S-H-A-W-N at AmateurSkeptics.com. All right. Ian, how can can they get a hold of you? Well, if if they see me in the street and they grab me, they'll get a good hold of me. But I prefer they not do that. Uh, um, I'm Ian at AmateurSkeptics.com. And I believe that uh, we've got Jennifer at AmateurSkeptics.com. I'm Brian at AmateurSkeptics.com. You can get us all at... With a Y. With a Y. Because you always want to know. And you can get us all at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. And also, you can find us on Facebook. Yeah, so we'd love for you to join our Facebook group and you know give us some direct input there. Oh, and I am also um, Mercurial Geek on Twitter. There you go. So we're all over the place. Yes, we can be found. All right, that's it. Have a good evening. That's another one in the can. Yep. All right. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. 
For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. Music for this podcast was provided by OMG. For more information about OMG, go to their website at MySpace.com forward slash OMGHQ. The Amateur Skeptics Podcast is released under a Creative Commons share like no derivatives 3.0 license. We'd love to have you share our work with other people. Please do not edit or change the file.